Let's start by reading the word, shall we? Genesis chapter 26, first book of the Bible. We're reading from verse 1 through to verse 16. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerah, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn, or journey, stay in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerah. When the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, My wife thinking lest the men of these place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech the king of the Philistines looked out of his window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife, or being intimate with her. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, She is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done? One of my people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warmed all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became very rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled up with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Bimlech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are so much mightier. Than us. Let's just pray again, shall we? Father, it's been such a privilege to have time and space to worship you this morning together. Father, thank you for speaking to us too. Father, I pray now that you would take these, these weak and simple words, Lord, and Just, Father, your Holy Spirit wrote this book. Would he help us interpret it? And Lord, just drop those little seeds into us, those little bits that you want us to receive to hear from you. Jesus, we just love you so much. Word of God. Amen. What I'd like to do today is I'd like to start by telling you where we're going to finish. So that way you can think, oh good, it's nearly coffee time. We've got there. So as we used to say in uh, years of old, draw your swords. You ready, Mr. Tarr? Can someone tell me what Hebrews 13 and verse 8 is? 
Hebrews 13, verse 8. I was going to bring a chocolate bar as a prize, but I did that last time. Do you want the first, first, first word? Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, ladies. Where are the men? Come on. Thank you, ladies. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's where we're going to end up today. A bit strange as we're starting with Isaac. But what I'd like us to do is look at this passage of Isaac. Now, I'd like us to kind of get into his, into his shoes or into his sandals and try and stand from Isaac's perspective at this period of time. We know the story of Abraham. We know Isaac. We know what happened. And we know up to Jesus and so forth. But just try and step into his skin, into his sandals, just for these just for these short moments, because I think there's a few keys here which can help us and encourage us. Um, and hopefully we'll time some of the words that the Lord's already spoken to us today. So let's see this story based on his current circumstances, because I want to look at Isaac's history from here, i.e. his yesterday. I want to look at Isaac's present, his today, and I want to look at Isaac's future, what was to come. So Isaac's yesterday, well, yesterday was very much based on his father Abraham. We've been looking at that. We've had a little break for a few weeks, a very valuable break, I might add. A very valuable break. And we were looking at Abraham. He was called by God just because he was, because God is full of grace. God promises him a son. He tries to get a son in his own strength, like I would, and he blows it, like I do. And eventually, he has Ishmael, he has angelic encounters or theophanies, depending on your stance. And eventually, Isaac is born. Now, he's brought up with his stepbrother, who is 13 years older than him. Did anyone have a bigger brother? One who was 13 years older than him? I reckon it was quite tough for Isaac growing up, because he was the son of promise, and they knew he was. And Ishmael was not, and he knew he was. Think of that family tension. Think of that atmosphere. Then here's Ishmael, Isaac's half-brother. There's Leah, his stepmother. What kind of pressure did Isaac feel? It wasn't exactly his fault. He was just born, wasn't he? His experience of fathering. Now, that was rather interesting. He was aware that he was a miracle baby. Oh, he was aware of that. And through circumcision, he was aware that his father was a man who was in covenant with God. But also, Isaac must have been aware of his own father's shortcomings. For th every morning when he got out of his tent, he saw his brother. There was his older brother standing there. A real living example of the fact that Abraham had blown it and got it wrong. He must too have known that his father had lied. In fact, his father lied twice about Sarah, saying, She's not my wife, she's my sister. One of them is in Genesis 12, verse 10, when he goes down to Egypt during the famine. And another time he goes to another king, Abimelech, maybe the father of this one, we don't know, um, in Genesis 20, verse 2. So he, know, he knew his father had blown it and his father had lied twice. Have you ever wondered what it was like for Isaac to be bound, lying on that altar 
and looking up at his father, and his father has got a knife ready to plunge into him. I never really thought about that until today, or this week, last week. He held a knife to his son's own throat. And he was saying, son, I'm doing this because I trust God. Interesting, isn't it? Isaac knew that his father was prepared to sacrifice him, and yet twice Abraham was frightened to die himself and lied about his wife. Interesting fathering, isn't it? But Isaac knew he was special. Did Isaac hear the voice of the Lord, or the voice of the angel of the Lord, say, Abraham, don't do that? Did he see the lamb in the thicket? How did he respond when he saw that lamb sacrificed in his place, that ram? Did Isaac get a little glint that someone or something had to die in his place? Isaac was very much aware of his own failings as a father. He had Isaac and he had Jacob. And up to this point, his two sons were fighting even before they were born. It's bad enough having children when they're that high fighting. (laughs) They're fighting before they're even born. And Jacob has already stolen his father's birthright. So Isaac is the son of promise. He knows the hand of God on his life. But everyday living is a bit of a mess. And his family is a bit of a mess. He's a son of promise, and yet has a life of tension and a life of paradox. Also, he's living with the weight of expectation on his shoulder. I am the son of promise. He's experiencing the blessing and the leading of God, despite the self-inflicted mistakes and consequences that he's living with. Fascinating. So that's Isaac yesterday. Okay. Now here's Isaac Today, so what's he confronted with? He's confronted with a challenge. He's confronted with a famine. And this was really serious. Unless he took action, he and his family were going to die. Now it's time for Isaac to stand on his own two feet. He can't rely on his father Abraham, who's now passed on. He has to take action. And yet, very interestingly... And there's no time to go into this, unfortunately, but he doesn't go down to Egypt like his father. He goes to Gera of the Philistines. Now, I wonder, now I know growth groups have closed for, I was going to say Christmas, have closed for summer. <laughs> it's come around quick, hasn't it? But here's an interesting theological question. Did Isaac, and I don't know the answer, did Isaac go and then God speak to him? Or did God speak to him and go? The scripture seems fairly clear, but I wonder if it's as clear as it looks. He didn't go where his father went. He went to Gera. He went somewhere different. And Isaiah 30, verse 21, says this. It said, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or you turn to the left. Now, I believe that's been a greatly misinterpreted scripture over the years we've had it i've had people pray lord i pray that you show julian how to move to the right or you you guide him to the left show him where to go but i believe that as you go 
If you're going off course, God will say, no, right, right, left, left. Sometimes guidance is maybe a little bit more straightforward than we think. He went where he believed was the right place to go. It's in danger, danger of being misquoted, but I thought of this. No voice means right choice. <laughs> now, it's important to weigh things, especially when you're doing major if you're making major decisions, to weigh it with people that you trust. And uh, it's always good to bounce things off the elders. But sometimes in the simple things of life, we don't need a big heavy prayer time. We just need to move. And the Lord will just nudge us, just nudge us in the right direction. So he goes to Gera. And what verse 3 must have been such a comfort, such a fantastic verse. God speaks to him and says, Sojourn in this land and I will be with you. And I will bless you. Just imagine God coming to you and saying, I will be with you. I will bless you. Gera, how interesting enough, was the place where his father lied for the second time. Say, probably to a previous king, Abimelech. And he lied about Rebekah being his wife because he was afraid so he's the son of promise. He's being blessed by God. He's knowing God's provision in famine, and yet he is still afraid. Does that encourage you? It encourages me. God is so patient. God is so kind. And God, he is our shield and our protector. I think we heard that earlier. Isaac is a great man of God. There's no two ways about it. And I'm not in any way knocking him. Oh, goodness, wouldn't dare. But he does have his weaknesses. He does have his weak spots. It's something Steve and I have been talking about recently. This thing about blind spots. You know, you're driving up and down the M2 when it's actually open and moving, which is quite unusual. I'm driving along, tootling along at 55, like a good boy. And I see, no, I do. And you see this, like, this little micro coming up behind you. In your mirror, yeah? And then you see it in that mirror, and then it disappears. And then it's there again. There is a blind spot that you don't see. And as Christians, we can have our blind spots too. Over 30 years ago, don't tell anyone, fortunately it's not being recorded, but 30 years ago, when I used to pray for people to get delivered, I started opening a window so the demon could get out. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But it was from a right heart. Lord, I, I just, you know, we just need to get this thing out. But it was wrong. It was wonky. And so quickly you can starve a little thing like that and it could become a big thing. Who here likes casualty? All right, Jackie, got it? Now, just everyone else can just go to sleep. You know that Dylan? He's so scientific, isn't he? He's so clear, Dr. Dylan. And yet he's now holding that amulet and he's scared of the number four. Here is a guy who is scientific completely clear about what is fact, and that's a load of garbage, but he's now starting to get pulled in and gripped in his knee, and he's now making decisions based on lucky, lucky amulets and lucky tokens. He's a scientific doctor, and we can be the same as Christians. We can easily slip. We can hear a word or just get something, and we can go a little bit wonky, and I've been guilty of that many times. That's why we need brothers and sisters around us, that we can just bounce things, bounce things off. And Steve and I have taken a big risk with each other and just said, mate, if I go a bit, um, just, just, just lap 
tap me on the shoulder, let me know. And uh, it's a bit scary, but it's a great comfort. That's why some of the teaching we've had in the last two or three weeks has been so helpful. Because we want to prophesy, we want to move in the gifts of the Spirit, but we just need to learn how to do it in order and based on God's Word. And it's encouraging. We are a blessed people. Isaac was blessed. Over the last week or so, I've been enjoying Psalm 144. I don't know if that was one we had this morning. I don't think it was. It's pretty similar. Can I just say, as a little aside, would you like to just spend a bit of time this week reading Psalm 144? I believe that there's some, there's some bits in there which are encouragements to us as beacon. The last verse says, Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Don't you just love that? It's a great scripture. Some of the last, the last few verses, I think, are, could be quite key for us. But the bottom line is this. I believe that this psalm is, 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 is in the context of battle and in the context of warfare. And it's something that I rarely talk about from the front. But I believe that we are in warfare. There is a battle. It's very subtle. It's 100% up here. <laughs> but we are in warfare. But God is blessing us and providing for us in a place of famine. It is a place of famine, and yet it's a place of blessing. So Isaac prospers in a time of famine. And here at Beacon, I mean, isn't it exciting? We're seeing numerical growth. We're seeing character growth. All, All cheer, having your character develop. Hooray! The edge is knocked off. And we give Jesus the glory. But in this passage, we see that the Philistines witness the blessing of God on Isaac and his family. And, and, and it's a barren time for them, and yet he's getting blessed, and they become envious. And we should not be surprised, friends, if we start to encounter opposition as a church because God is blessing us, because people can be full of envy. John 15 tells us that when, when, when we are fruitful, what does God do? Prunes us. Hooray, light prunes. <laughs> so whether we're fruitful or whether we're not so fruitful, God, the Father, will prune us. Why does he prune us? Prune us? He prunes us that we will bear more fruit and that that fruit will remain. So if you feel you're in a pruning time, despite the kind of the blessing that's going on, there's still that sense, the sense of blessing, but also there's a sense of lack. God is pruning us that we can bear more fruit. Hallelujah. Isn't that encouraging? This hall is too small. (laughs) And we need another guitarist. So that's Isaac's yesterday. Isaac's today. So here is now Isaac in chapter 26, looking towards the future. He really has to make a decision. Is his history and his upbringing and his background going to determine his future? Because God is his future. If you just read, let's just read verses 3 and 4 again, because they're so fantastic. This is God speaking. He said, He says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. I will bless you. And to you and your offspring, I will give these lands. 
And I will establish the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We are blessed. We are part of those nations. There is hope for Isaac. Family's a mess. My dad was great, but he was a bit weird. There's famine, yet God's blessing us. I've lied to Abimelech, and yet he's now protecting me. Whoa. See, we're called to live by faith. God has given us many precious promises, both individually and corporately. We need to remember those, some of the scriptures and the prophecies that we've been given over these last few weeks. Now, Isaac was brought up in a Jewish tradition. It was very much an oral tradition. They would speak to one another. And um, you can imagine Abraham telling Isaac when he was little the stories of God and his encounters with God. And even in Jewish tradition today, they speak about the things of God. And this is what they do. They relate the promises of God. They recite the promises of God. They revise the promises of God. And they remember the promises of God. And I believe it's a good exercise for us as well, to one another, to those we meet within our families and so forth. Let's relate the promises of God. Let's recite the promises of God. Maybe even text them to one another. You know, let's be down with the kids. Blog one another. Revise the promises. Remember the promises. Let's not forget what God has done. So he's looking to the future. If you're a farmer, you need food. What do you do? You sow. But if there's a famine and it's bone dry, there's not much point, is there? It doesn't make any sense. As a gardener, I've seen many plants dying recently because they've been sown and the soil just isn't, isn't ready. It's too dry. It's not going to grow. And yet Isaac sowed in a year of famine and in the same year he reaped 100-fold. Why? Because God said he would bless Isaac and he did it in a fantastic, supernatural way. Despite the earthly famine, God's kingdom is not held back. How many in Herne Bay, Steve? 38,000? And one, and two, someone's just left. About 38,000 people in Herne Bay. Maybe 37,000 don't know Jesus. There's a famine out there. There's a famine out there. But we can sow. We can sow. And we can believe God for a harvest. We can sow in this time of famine because we live by kingdom principles not earthly rules. How can we sow? Holiday club, street pastors, food bank, the school's work, coffee and chaos, art group. These are all ways of sowing into people's lives. It didn't say that Isaac sowed the whole of the Philistine countryside and all of Israel and all of Egypt. No, he just did what he could do where he was. And that's what we can do. We can do what we can do where we are. In Psalm 37, I've loved this scripture for decades. Psalm 37 and verses 23 to 25. Fantastic scripture. 
Psalm 37, 23, it says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God is faithful. David could look back over his years and he said, in all of this, God has been faithful. I've never seen my children begging for bread. God has always provided. I've really backed off on, I've really backed off on the next bit because this would have been 90% of the preach if I'd done this five years ago. But we can sow financially. You know that? We saw earlier about the relational mission. Uh, you know, give five pounds a month. If you're in financial famine, how many people work for themselves? <laughs> then here is an opportunity, five pounds a month, to invest in the kingdom, something that God is really in. Relational mission is a great blessing to us. It's an opportunity, five pounds a month, to sow, to sow in a time of famine and believe for a harvest. We're not into the big prosperity teaching and God will give you three Mercedes or whatever. Just simple principles based on the work of God that we can sow in famine and we will reap in the same year 100-fold. There are many other areas in which we can sow, we know. And there are lots of testimonies that I could give at other times of where God has been so faithful. So Isaac's tomorrow held eternal promises. And this promise, which we were looking at again in verses 4 and 5, they are eternal promises that we can get hold of, that we will be blessed. The ends of the earth will be blessed because God has spoken. So what about us? Well, how, can we, how can we apply all this to us just as, as we fold this up? As we started, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today. And forever. Isaac's behavior and mistakes, or should we say Julian's behavior and mistakes, did not negate the promise or the grace of God in his life. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful in David. (laughs) It's such a relief, isn't it? The grace of God, my behavior, does not negate the promise. That doesn't mean to say we live loosely, but we live in the grace of God. We love and serve a God of promise, a God of protection, and a God of provision. It points to Jesus, the magnificent Son. Hebrews 11, 8 to 18, and John 8, 56 shows us that Abraham just caught a glimpse of something. Some theologians would actually say he actually saw Jesus' day. He says in John 8, he said, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And Isaac was right there when that happened. Do you know it's God is the one who provides a table in the wilderness? Psalm 23, verse 5, we all know it, don't we? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflowed. So if there's no enemies and there's no wilderness... Maybe there's no table. Sometimes it's in the difficulties and in the struggles 
and in the harshness that we actually find the table. <laughs> My family history, your family history, your history does not determine your future in God. Yep, we, live, we do live with the consequences of sin, poor decisions that we've made, things that I've got wrong, but ultimately the kingdom of God will never be shaken. It says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Believe me, I'm working on that. I don't sit here having, yep, sorted, got it. It does still, history, etc., does still determine some of my decisions and how I react. But I'm seeking to work on it with the help of others and by the grace of God. If you feel that you've made an impossible error and you're living with unbearable consequences, then come to Jesus because he is a redeemer. We were looking at that a couple of years ago. Jesus can redeem situations. He doesn't suddenly make it all better and everything's wonderful and oh, it's all so smooth and easy now. No, but he leads us on a path. He will take us by the hand and lead us on a path. God will find a way through. I have no idea how to find a way through some things, but God will make a way because he is God. I say this to myself. Don't allow fear to rule your relationships in the world, even when you're about God's business. Isaac was about God's business. Abraham was about God's business, but he still allowed fear to rule him and his decisions. It's an area that I still have to keep working on. Isaac's father had twice lied about his wife being his sister. Even though he'd been led by God, and, uh, um, and he allowed the fear to rule uh, rule himself in those scary moments. And for some of us in the past, we've had spiritual fathers who've maybe lied to us, maybe leaders of church, who, churches who've failed us, and yet God is a God of grace. Maybe we've had those who've led us who've been a poor example. Because man will get it wrong. You know, Man will take, we will take our eyes off Jesus. But God has still called you. God will still lead you. Man will fail you, but God will never fail you. If historically a church leader has failed you or hurt you or dominated you, let me tell you this, Jesus holds your tomorrow. And you can experience that, start of that, today. Jesus is the one who sets us free. Maybe you feel that you've failed as a father. If you're a father, maybe you feel you've failed as a father. Do you know God can redeem that situation? Look at the magnificent promises that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had. Look at the mess that they were as people. And yet in their faithfulness and the grace of God, look at the outcome. Absolutely stunning. God is in the business of taking our brokenness and reshaping it by his goodness and his godliness. Such a precious saviour. There's a few other scriptures in the notes to look at. I just want to finish with one of my favorite scriptures for the last 18 months, which is in Jeremiah 6 and the start of verse 16. It says this, it says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls.
We've had a theme throughout, Barb, um, Fred, Janet, I think, all use scriptures encouraging us to rest, to rest in God. We can recalibrate. You know, if, if, if life up to this point has been a bit rubbish, a bit grotty, not going to wave a wand today and you'll skip out of here completely free and nothing will ever go wrong again. No. But we have one, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside us, who can lead us and guide us and can take our brokenness and reshape it with his goodness. Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Should we pray?